There are strange things done in the midnight sun by adventurers who delve for gold. The dungeons deep their secrets keep, or so the tales are told. Till heroes show and off they go by foes beset and harassed. There's that and more and treasures galore on the Dungeons and Gatherers podcast. so good to have you back on, Aaron. It's, it's been way too long. With that. And I know that people who are listening, they've been listening to Ravnica, so it's like, what do you mean Aaron's been here? Well, Aaron hasn't been here for me, okay? <laughs> well, Josh missed me, even if the rest of you didn't. Aaron, how does it feel to be back in the recording setup? Uh, it's hot. Physically, the temperature is hot. I'm sweating. It's very, it's very warm down here. But it's good. It's good to be back in the old setup. I'm happy to hear that. I didn't think you had an ASMR setup, so I was wondering what you meant by hot. Right. So I'm oh, glad no. that you clarified. I mean, it's also <laughs> very sexy. I am naked. <laughs> Can you imagine if I just recorded these episodes fully naked? I was like, I mean, this is a part of my process. I don't think anyone would mind. We're already rated as an explicit podcast. So. And that's also all my fault. No, there's there's times where I listen to myself, and it's just like... There's a swear word within the first two minutes, and mm-hmm. it wasn't Aaron this time. But you probably are the biggest offender. I don't know if anyone wants to go through the podcast and be like, no, oh, yeah. Josh did it more, but still, it might be. be it's like, probably. By the way, Aaron's dropped the F-bomb 14 times in one episode. It's crazy. I know, and especially when we do like the longer ones, like the, the Candlekeep or the Ravnica, I feel oh, as God. though the swears are only more prevalent because our brains are working even faster to be like, ah! shit and that's just how you play D, you know that's a part of my improv process just swearing until you make it swear until you make it really i love um, that now i really want to know what my vocal tick is though so i just listened to the episode that you and rachel did last week and i'm like what is it what's my tick i need to know <laughs> you know i have to be honest at first and i texted rachel this later when she was trying to describe mine I realized that, like, I didn't get what she meant, but then I listened to it. You do it when you're talking to her about it, too. It's so weird because it's not entirely stuttering on the word. It's almost as though I'm, like, freezing my brain for another person to say the word and then I say it. Exactly. I become JD from Heathers Mm -hmm. and then I continue the line after i finish within my head freeze your brain from right. hit oh musical. that's part of why you take such a long pause yeah it's that mix between going too fast with my words and then slowing down so i don't um goof it up if you will but i'm happy that you're back on because now we can't compliment you and you can't or, or you can defend yourself now so i guess we can't Thank compliment God. Yeah, you i can anymore. defend myself against your hideous compliments it's a horrid thing but i'm it's also terrible. happy that you're back because not only aaron's back podcast this is also the 30th episode of the dungeons and gatherers wow. podcast look at us i know right that's crazy we've done pretty good and sadly i can't mark it by like oh 52 means we've been doing it for a year mm-hmm. now because we've right. we've missed a couple weeks you know with uh the way life kind of happens yes, with two this is actors, the way. two performers yeah. traveling in um Ugh. various areas of this yeah. uh, beautiful world. But it's good to be back at it, um, and we have a wonderful episode planned today, right, Josh? We do indeed. But before we get into the topic, I just thought we'd have, since both of us are on again, just a little recap on like, hey, 
these are the things that are coming out. So make sure you keep your ears peeled for them. You notice how I used to say eyes peeled, and then I got made fun of it yeah. so much that now I say oh. ears peeled. Who would ever make fun of you for the things you say on the podcast? I don't know, but it's more than just you, Aaron. Funny, <laughs> oh, funny shit. Enough. You're getting bullied in the comments. I noticed that, and I mean this out of love completely, that I'll say things and Elisa is like the first one to come back at me and be like, did you just say that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're all really bad um, correctors. But we love it. It's that beautiful Katarina quickness. On just it is truly such up. a travesty that um, the audience is only experiencing Katarina, who I love, but they don't yes. see the like the sweet little boy that Snorri is. I guess they kind of get it through Quackadilly, like a That's little true. bit, but there's not enough Quackadilly to counteract the Katarina. Yeah, the the balance has been offset. She's awesome. There are some legitimate moments um, that she stumps me. That like yeah. whenever I'm trying to like role play a scene with her, like she is such a force of nature. That it is hard. It's hard to like, like with Callum, it was hard to get her to like join up. You know, I had yeah. to really bring down the hammer. So actually, before we, uh, I'll fine. I'm gonna compliment you right now. Um, we were talking Stop. in the podcast uh, last week about like the concept of taking low status and not allowing your preconceived notions to kind of railroad you in one direction. The idea that you were so willing to allow Callum to kind of be the one who got picked on in the end is Thank really you. cool and it, it helped push the story along in a funny way rather than being like oh this is my idea I'm going to stick with it you allowed our characters to influence the way Callum was kind of treated within the world and I think that's just great as a DM to have that as a tool. Thank you. Yeah it was Um, I fall into this trap where I always like to play really high status characters. I like to play really intelligent people that like sort of know what's going on and so Callum totally has aspects of that and like he is in charge of you all. Yes. But it's also fair to say like he's a bit awkward and a little bit weird and like you're he's definitely like allowed to be the butt of a lot of jokes it's also hilarious when it happens and i would much rather like have a funny moment than feel like well i was the boss the whole time i've got you now (laughs) and callum will have plenty of moments to be you know to be hardcore definitely you you hold power over us in this uh, part of the campaign so, just a couple quick business notes that we have. Uh, keep tuned for Ravnica parts four and on because mm-hmm. we're going to be recording them. Going to be super fun. Going to be a little while before they come out, but we have some things to hold you over, of course. Um, the first thing to look out for is the Halloween special episode. I've kind of been holding back on what it is, so I thought I'd just reveal mm-hmm. a little bit of what's going to happen in the Halloween episode. Just give me, show me a little ankle. It's going to be a combination within the uh, D&D system, a Strixhaven slash Innistrad one-shot. What? Crazy. So many things in one one-shot. <laughs> yes, we're celebrating the Innistrad Midnight Hunt release along with the um, new Innistrad set that will come out, Crimson Vow, the new Strixhaven book as well. So we are pumping up for all of these things that have been coming out in Magic the Gathering and D&D and truly appreciating the Dungeons and Gatherers title because we're talking about both Dungeons and Dragons and Magic the Gathering mm-hmm. in the one shot. Wow. Boom. Did you rehearse that? <laughs> I did not rehearse that, but honestly That was really good. Thank you. Before I was um before we recorded today, I was like thinking about it because I was listening to uh, Ravnica again on my way back from rehearsal. I'm glad it's not just me. 
it feels a little self-indulgent, but I just love to like, it's like hanging out with all my friends again. I know. And I, I like, I think it's good. I know I have a bias, but like, I, I, I think we do a really good job with it. Mm-hmm. There's things I wish I did better, but you know, that's fine. But my thing was, is I was realizing, I'm like, oh my God, we're doing a campaign in the Magic the Gathering universe. We really are playing to our title of the Dungeons and Gatherers podcast very well. It's like, thank God. I know, right? We came up with the title for some reason. Besides um, Dungeons & Dragons and Magic the Gathering, uh, next week we're going to have a very special guest on to the podcast. Um, A friend of ours, uh, Dean Beckwith, will be on to talk about his new game that's coming out called Thirst at the Cathedral, which uses the Powered by the Apocalypse system. So something we don't talk too much about on this pod, so it's going to be really fun to talk to him about this game because we're pumped about Avatar Legends, and that's a Powered by the Apocalypse game. So it'll be cool to have someone on who knows the system very well. Mm-hmm. But we are the Dungeons & Gathers podcast, so we got some D&D stuff to talk about right now. Yeah, we've got a lot of cool things coming up. We've been putting out a lot of neat play content, and... You know, you've seen a lot of characters from us um, in recent history. So I thought we would take some time today just to talk about um, some of those characters and how they came into being. Do you like how I stole that segue from you? I thought it was a brilliant segue. I, I really did. We're, we're here to compliment the segues we do on the podcast. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people, when they think about like characters, uh, Aaron and I are fans of Critical Role, and we think about Critical Role a lot. And... Part of this idea also comes from the fact that uh, the Critical Role book Call of the Netherdeep uh, just got a release date the other day, and it'll be the first adventure book within the world of Exandria. So many people are now getting this hype, where they're like, we got to build these like Critical Role characters mm-hmm. for the future of D&D and the adventures they go on. So as Aaron said, this is a fun little character build talk. I mean, like, where do you start, really? Actually, that's an excellent question. Where do you start when you go to make a character? What's the first, like, little, like, bits of mist that you put together to start to form who will eventually become someone like Zija, you know, or Traben? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, since the audience uh, has heard of Zija, I guess I could start with uh, the initial concept behind that. Um, there's two There's two pathways I usually go down for building a character. I either go from... I see something in film and media or something, and I'm like, ooh, that's what I want to build. Or, actually, three ways now that I think about it. I think about a certain Mm. character type I want to play. Or I'm like, I've been dying to play this blah, blah, blah class. Or, like, I always wanted to play an Eldridge Knight, so that was part of the reason for Zizia. But Zizia was, I saw the card of the Legion Guild Mage from Magic the Gathering, Guilds of Ravnica, and I was like, I want to make that into a D&D character. So that was kind of my spark to create Zizia. And that makes sense too because it is a crossover world. They even tell you in the Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica that like you can take inspiration from the Magic the Gathering cards. And I think that actually helps to like ground it in the world. Because then both like aesthetically as well as um, just some to some extent mechanically, right? You you're very well aligned. Like, it would be strange if Zizia was a Boros Knight, but you designed it off of, like, a Rakdos card. You know, like, if you like the Rakdos aesthetic but decided to play this Boros Knight, I don't think it would quite work. And I think aesthetic is an important thing in the world. Like, I think as a DM, it's good to be open to a lot of different things, but sometimes you can have someone who brings you a character and you're like, ooh, this is a weird one to place in a world. Like, we're doing a Desperado 
cowboy uh, campaign, and you're playing as a World War II military officer. Right. You definitely have to make sure that you fit the theme. I would like to say another thing that I think about when building a character is, like, when you go the route of the, like, okay, I'm going to build the Eldritch Knight or this is my card art, it doesn't start with the core concept of what made Zizia Zizia. Mm-hmm. Right? Because right. you could look at a card and say, oh, these are probably ideas of what she'd act like. But it doesn't really truly internalize, like, oh, how does Zizia tick? What does Zizia do every day? So mm-hmm. that's missing from that character build. Do you ever start personality first? You're like, I want to play a character that's very charming, you know? Or, like, I want to play a character that's, like, I don't know, conniving. Is that ever? And then you sort of go from there. You're like, oh, well, what kind of classes would work well for this, you know? So, like, if I'm going to play a charming character, I'm probably going to lean towards charisma, right? Or if I'm going to play a conniving character, I'm thinking about playing a rogue. And so then, like, whatever roleplay choices you want to make can then influence the mechanical choices you make in character creation. You know, recently, now that you bring that up, I had this interesting thing where I, I built a Rakdos character for a campaign I was playing. And the thing that happened was is I was like, oh, but I don't want to be a bard. I want to do something from Tasha's book. So I went with Wildfire Druid. And initially I'm like, oh, very, very, very charismatic. And I play him off charismatic, but he's got a bigger wisdom stat than a charisma Mm -hmm. stat. So it's interesting that, like, when I built that character, I saw him as charismatic. But my stats don't truly reflect that build. Yeah, that's always a toss-up, you know, when uh, the stats don't quite reflect the character that you want to play. However, I find it interesting that I I think we said this on an earlier episode of the podcast that if you want to play a character that's like you talk a lot, you're like a charismatic person, you have a lower charisma stat, it means you could still be very charismatic. It's just Mm -hmm. that you think you're more charismatic than other people think you're charismatic. We've all met that person that like thinks they're the shit and everybody thinks that they're annoying. And I think that's totally fair. I you put it so well and it's really stuck with me that's like sometimes it's not just about like you weren't good enough sometimes it's that the person you were going against in that skill check or that environment whatever was better than you you know yeah like you can do really well and then not be good enough that fills your character with those moments as we're talking about like building a good internal base for your character that functions on it's like Oh, there's doubt for you right there where you're like, mm-hmm. oh, I guess I'm not as good as I thought I was. So, like, maybe your character works out a lot but has, like, you know, performance anxiety. And so anytime they need to apply their strength, they flub, you know? Now, Aaron, I got to ask because you've asked me about character. Can I ask about Jin? How was Jin created? Of course. Of course you can. Most of the characters I play come from I have, like a like, a checklist of all the classes I have and haven't played yet. And so when we were making characters, I realized I hadn't played a monk yet, um, and I thought it would be super cool. One of the things I heard whenever I was watching people talk in anticipation of Candlekeep was that a cobalt soul monk would be really cool for this. Oh, yeah. So, and you know, like, listening to Critical Role, um, I thought it'd be really cool to play a cobalt soul monk. The character sort of just ran from there. It feels sort of like overdone to say like I discovered the character you know because like I literally made Jin but it really felt like every choice I made was sort of like well of course that's how it would be I had this idea of playing this really impersonal but very smart um 
cobalt soul monk that could sort of just like regard the world coldly and like very analytically and then i started thinking about the kaminoans from star wars of course yes like you said you see you remember a piece of media and you think i'm gonna make a character that's i'm gonna borrow some of that it's going to be a very interesting juxtaposition based on what everybody else is going to bring to the table you know just to be so incredibly alien and so then i sort of picked water genasi from there and I think that's a great thing to have, too, because, I mean, when you're going into the world of starting a campaign or starting a one-shot, having those things that you've pulled from are great beginnings to kind of busting out the door with a stronger character entrance mm-hmm. rather than just the, all right, I'm waiting around for other people to talk. Okay, now I'm ready. Now I'm ready to go. Right. And I never want to play the same character twice, right? So, like, my first character um, that I played with you, Victor, Victor Slots, love him, my trickery cleric, like, he was sort of cunning and fun and extroverted, right? And like, just like a party animal. He was great and just like, I loved playing him. And so then whenever I went to make another character, Ariadne, I was like, I still want to be cool and I still want to be smart and tricky and I knew I was going to play a rogue, but I couldn't play Victor again. So she had to be more quiet and reserved and sort of awkward and a little bit meaner, right? Because Victor's very good-hearted, and so I made Ariadne sort of like a bad bitch. Yeah. And then going on with my trend of like, I need to play smart characters um, that are sort of elevated, Ariadne sort of like progressed into Jin in the way that like still very like nimble and um, like, because um, Ariadne is also an acrobat. So Jin very much has that sort of dexterity thing going, but I changed, I took a spin on like, what if Jin was exclusively smart? Right, which mm. is actually sort of I rolled really poorly on Jin's stats also, yeah. and that. <laughs> so you know you can have this cool character concept, and then the minute that those dice hit the table, everything is different. You just roll bad on stats. That's, I I roll I terribly. For you. I roll That's so bad. Only like for constantly. you though, because my Eberron Storm Sorcerer rolled super well on all of his stats. He's like oh, a prodigy. Amazing. I see what you're saying. Yeah, you bring it out in me, but that's okay. And like the for our little Halloween Strixhaven one shot, my stats are atrocious. They are. I need to tell you this now because I don't think I've told you this yet. One of my players was messaging me and saying, "Hey, my stats are like really bad." And I'm like, "Do you have three negatives?" And they're like, "No." And I'm like, "Well, <laughs> you're, you're like, fine." Shut up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're like Aaron's over here with an eight, a six, and a seven. <laughs> yeah. And I just thought that was so funny because it was like, don't you worry. You're fine. You don't have to. You're actually not the worst. Yeah. Yeah. And my highest score is a plus three. Damn. Yeah. That just sucks. rough. You're a level six character. Like, that just blows. (laughs) And I even, I used my ability score improvement too. That's the worst part. It's fine. That's so sad. I love it. I'm so excited though because I always play characters that try to be good at a lot of things, right? Yeah. So... It'd be cool to play a character that is not good at most things. Well, you know, it's so funny you bring that up because it's almost like the Skyrim thing when I was playing Skyrim for the first time where I was like, I was this Nord, two-handed fighter, but like I was like, oh, I want to be in the Shadow Brotherhood too or like, oh, I want to be in the Thieves Guild. Oh, I want to learn a little bit of magic and go up to the college. Like, it's really hard to think of your life as like, the original thoughts of building a monk where you're like, oh, no, I'm perfect at everything. There's nothing mm-hmm. I'm bad at. Like, when right. you build a character, you have to accept the fact that, like, I want to be really strong. Well, you might be sacrificing stealth or intelligence when you do that. Mm-hmm. That's always a hard call to make. 
which is why I play, um, you know, rogues. There you go. I mean, rogues are pretty good at everything. Yeah, or like a bard, you know, with jack of all trades. And that was actually, so I started playing D&D in college. I did like a couple one shots with some friends of mine. And they were like, what do you want to play? I was like, I don't know anything. They're like, we're going to let you play a bard, which is like mistake number one. Because <laughs> boy, was I chaotic because I had no idea. I had no idea what I was doing. There you go. But to get to just like be a little bit good at everything, it was very much my speed at the time. And I'm trying to pull myself away from that more and more. And that's good, too, because it honestly helps as a character to be the reason you're in a party mm-hmm. is that you're right. not great at everything. You need people to fall back on. You're not the Superman of the Justice League. It's not like you're perfect, but I have my friends behind me just because I want to have a party mm-hmm. with me. Because I like, like them. Yeah. You have flaws. It's like you all need to support each other. Right. Exactly. And you said it right there. I want to talk about um, flaws. How do you go about giving your character flaws and executing them? Because what I find is that anytime, and I don't really like the flaws they give in the player's handbook. No. Because they just never quite seem to fit with whatever character I'm working with. I use backgrounds very generically. And I say like, well, this is approximately what I want. And so then like the flaws and the personality traits never really seem to line up with what I want. I also always view flaws as things that my character is working to fix, Hmm. which I think is sometimes true but not always. I think it's important to remember, like, in any good story, like, every character has a flaw that they have to to overcome. And hopefully, you know, there's more than one flaw that's given because if you want to continue growing in a campaign, Mm -hmm. you got multiple hurdles to jump over. Otherwise, it becomes boring. Absolutely. And your flaw has to be sort of complex, multifaceted, right? It can't just be, like, something you could solve in a session. Um, I wanted just to read what Zizia's flaw was because I forgot what it was, to be honest. And that I think that's just a note to honestly, when you're filling out your whole um, four boxes in the top right for uh, trade, ideal, bond, and flaw, you don't have to be uh, biblical about it and be like, no, this is the God's will. I have to uh, mm-hmm, play it this right. way. But Zizia's flaw is I'm slow to trust members of other guilds. I think I play that naturally anyway because i you i do. think i backhand compliment literally every other member of my party that was hysterical constantly uh, in the last episode that man that backhanded compliment was that was a thwack and what i love too is like to everyone it comes off as a backhand compliment but z's just like no that was like that's a genuine compliment like mm-hmm. which then points at like another flaw right so z's just sort of has a lack of social awareness yes or just like is blunt and sees no problem with that. Exactly. It's a very tactical thing. Like when Zizia was crying by the statue, <laughs> like for me, I realized as a player, I'm like, this is a bad thing to do because it might screw it up. But I was like, but Zizia wouldn't take that. Like this is a, a brave soldier. And this person is like, you know, disrespecting through me that soldier's accomplishment. Mm-hmm. So right. another flaw is... I don't really play things subtly. <laughs> Absolutely. So your flaws aren't always going to be bad things, right? They don't always lead to terrible moments. But I I would say that they probably drive your character more than any of the other personality traits, ideals, or, you know, any of those things. Because flaws are what's going to, like, throw a wrench in things. And that's when the role-playing and the storytelling gets really interesting. Yes. And we're also, we're performers, I want to say that when in improv, when you're building a character and when I've been doing Renaissance festivals, I always think about this 
an audience member wants to attach themselves, or even the people you play with, they want to attach themselves with somebody who has a flaw. Mm-hmm. Because then you get to see that they're human like you, and you get to experience their growth through that flaw. Unless you do something like a Renaissance festival where the point is you never grow from that flaw because it's funnier. But right. we're playing D&D, and we want to grow from our flaws. We do, we do. We like growth. I'm thinking about like some of Ariadne's flaws. Um, she wants to be a good person, and also she's incredibly vengeful and like self-serving. And, like, is not afraid to take matters into her own hands. And I think that that's awesome. And she's had moments where she's confronted that flaw and turned it down. And then she's had moments where she's fallen to that temptation. I say never never fully resolve your flaws, right? Yeah. Because if you think about it, some of the things that still trip us up as people, you know... There's like some battles you'll fight for your entire life. And sometimes it's easier. And the more you work at working around your flaws, the easier it gets. But it's never like it's not there. Totally. Uh, and I I appreciate, like, you know, the acknowledgement of that when you're building a character. Because some of my favorite moments when I'm DMing and watching all of you play is when I put a uh, situation before you. And then you, as an actor, truly connect to that moment because you're like, oh, this is like a big decision. And this almost kind of like I'm really feeling the flaw of my character through mm-hmm. this moment because I'm like, I don't know what's right. Yeah, I love it so much. That's juicy stuff right there. I'm really excited for the climactic finale of Ravnica, which I know is a couple episodes away. I know exactly. I have a good idea as to where it could go. So does Ravnica have like about a certain time frame that it's going to be? Boy, do we. Yeah. So Ravnica, I'm shooting for somewhere around eight episodes. So we're okay. just rounding the halfway point um, in our next one. It's been such a fun little arc to get to do, and I think it'll... uh. I think it'll do well. We're talking about character creation, and Mm -hmm. this is something that you bring up all the time, so I think we should bring it up. When you're picking a race in D&D, I really think, and I know that there could be purists that are against this, but like, allow your players to pick the ability scores they want to bump. Because I think it just like, when I was building before I thought in that mentality, I was constantly like, I want to play a wizard right now, but I mm-hmm. would like to be a dragonborn wizard. But if I'm a dragonborn wizard, I get two bumps in skills I really don't need as a wizard. So I'm not going right, to do a dragonborn exactly. wizard. But it's like, that's so limiting. Yeah, it really is. I have this terrible habit of um, saying that I'm going to do custom ability scores and then just whatever race I end up picking ends up having the bonuses that I need. So. Oh, lucky you then. <laughs> I know. So it works out well, but I, I'm a strong proponent of that across the board. There's yes. no reason that like you shouldn't get to play, you know, a dwarf that's dexterous instead of strong. Or or yeah, be a dragonborn wizard, because that sounds dope. I know, right? Very, very mystical in that way. And the good news is that ever since Tasha, a D and D in their books that are coming out are doing a great job with this, all the lineages in uh, Strahd are all custom ability scores. All the races in Beyond the Witchlight are custom ability scores. The new races in the Dragon Book are going to be all custom ability scores. That's awesome. So it's becoming a thing that's common now, mm-hmm. which is really good. I'm also a big proponent of the gem Dragonborn that's coming out because it's oh, ridiculously powerful. Obviously, You could fly. Like, I don't know how else to put it. Like, you're a dragon <laughs> that can fly from the beginning. But we're talking about all these races and things we're excited for. And since I know you are very similar to me, where we build characters all the time, 
mm-hmm. because we're constantly thinking about D&D stuff. Do we want to reveal maybe some of the characters we've just been building and maybe fun stories with that? Sure. I would love that. So when I'm building a character, the thing that I've been finding very recently is I usually build characters because I'm inspired by seeing something in D&D. So one of the things that I've done is because Aaron in the Ravnica podcast plays as an order cleric. Cleric is my favorite class, as everyone knows on the podcast. I watched um, them play the character, and I'm like, well, now I want to build myself an order cleric. So hopefully my order cleric will one day meet Aaron's order cleric. But I find things like that. I built a wildfire druid because I saw a friend once play this druid with this really cool ability, and I'm like, ooh, I want to incorporate that now into my character. And this is a really sad one why I've been building characters along this one way. In my Renaissance gig, I was given by a miniature builder a small little Pope figurine because I play the Pope sometimes at a uh, at the festival. And now I've been like, all right, now I need to build characters around the minifigures I have. Even after Eli gave me the Traben minifigure from her Out of the Abyss campaign, mm-hmm. I've been now building characters that could work in that minifigure uh, realm. I built a high elf or a moon elf blood hunter. So honestly, inspiration from other people. And honestly, the minifigures I have, I kind of try to build characters around them so I could keep using the minifigures. That's funny though. Wow. Um, yeah. Do you know Katarina is also an, an order cleric? Fun fact. It's not just Callum. We have so many order clerics. And a little peek behind the screen because I don't want to step on um, Elisa's toes you know, if Callum ever does end up running with you, he actually only has one level of order cleric. Oh, surprise. This is interesting. Stay tuned and find out to see what his other levels are. No, um, I'll tell you. <laughs> I made Callum because I was, um, everybody else was getting to make Ravnica characters. And I was like, I want to do this too. And I thought, yeah, and I thought the order cleric looked super cool. And I loved watching Elisa play it. So I made my own, but I was like, this could also be like a really cool like mage tank. And so I multiclassed into Abjuration Wizard. Nice. And so it's such a crunchy build that I don't think I would ever play it um, as like the DM, you know, because it just doesn't make sense to have an NPC be that involved when it's really not about me. Because he's got like his ward and he has temporary hit points and he has his regular HP, which he'll never get to. And like every hit he subtracts three from and like there's a bunch of other like it's just so much. It would be great like if he was a if I was a player and I'd be like, I have got this awesome math brain build that's going to wreck shop. But I don't know if we'll get to that for him. But honestly, I it's gotten me really excited about Callum and I'm, I always get happy when you talk about like the power of Callum because it does show that there are multiple ways to build a character. Some can be built to a way of being like so perfect because honestly the abjuration was with the cleric it seems like a perfect combination for the war priest or the battle mage i think battle mage is actually the yeah. term you nailed it but Thank then you. there's also you know people who build characters i once played with someone who played a barbarian where their dump stat was strength how did that go weirdly well because the advantage on strength checks is much better than you would anticipate I've never crunched the numbers on this, but I'm always curious if you have to choose between like having advantage on something or getting like a plus D4, you know, like do you choose a statistical advantage or a numerical advantage? I'm going to go with the Magic the Gathering mentality here. Drawing more cards is always better. So I think rolling more dice is always Mm, better. Gotcha. I think you're probably right. It's just hard. It's hard because like 
you know, like Ariadne's one of her dumb stats is intelligence because she's sort of from the backwoods. So even though she's an inquisitive rogue and she's incredibly perceptive, I add zero to investigation. So even yeah. if I, even though I get advantage on those rolls, like I could roll a two and a four, or I could roll an eleven and I wouldn't add anything, you know. Versus if I roll an eleven on a perception check, that turns into like a twenty-three. We love very perceptive characters because mm-hmm. they see all. Yeah, going back to the what causes me to feel inspired about creating characters is definitely builds that I want to try. I mean, like I've never played this class. Let's try it out. And then there's usually from there, like subclasses are all about flavor. Yeah. But I've never like really replayed a class, like not officially. You know, like Callum has a a level of cleric, and I've done a couple other like one shotty things that have like dipped into cleric, but. I wouldn't say that I have played another cleric since my first one. That's crazy, because I've played four clerics. <laughs> my question for you is, like, do they, are they different enough? Yes. Okay. I will say that they definitely do play off different. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll use a couple just as an example, because I don't want to bore the audience with all the clerics that I've played. But <laughs> when I played a life cleric, they were very put together and cheery and a very spiritual kind of entity. But then when I played a grave cleric... He was a big doofus. He was a very funny person who liked reading simple stories and went around and dug graves. And then I play my latest cleric, my Twilight cleric, as a very devout religious figure. He has charm to him, but he's very by the book when it comes to religion. Mm -hmm. So I decided for the first time, because, you know, clerics don't really have a bump in the intelligence of religion, I decided to play this cleric as a very religious cleric. But I think that's probably a piece of advice. I need to have my friend McKenna on to talk about this because she's played four to five trickery clerics. Oh, wow. All different. when you find what you like, you know. Yeah, and I was about to say, that's why I had to um, tell her about Victor Slots. But, like, that's what I'm really curious about. How do you play? Because subclasses at least help a little bit. But like, Mm -hmm. how do you make like five trickery clerics different? Right. I think the thing I keep getting stuck on is that mechanically, like you're going to keep casting the same spells. Yes. I would find it difficult to like reinvigorate that same spell list, you know, following that same progression. Because I won't lie. All my clerics have spiritual weapon. Mm -hmm. Like, how can you not? take it you know as much as i would like to say like oh yeah i'll have another spell it's just so powerful right like, how could i say no to it well it's like every warlock has eldritch blast you know yeah almost 90 percent. and the ones that don't like it's a conscious choice and i support them for that oh speaking of which i, I completely forgot to ask you is your warlock that you have built your most recent character yes he is i know i haven't i haven't really built another since then but I mean, that was fairly recent, and people yeah. may be like, can you tell us more about this warlock? No, you're going to have to wait and hear mm-hmm. about this warlock. He is so cute. I love him. So excited to just be low status. Wow, that is a full circle thing right there. We literally yeah. started about low status, and now we're ending it with low status. That's pretty crazy. Would you look at that? And Well, I would also be remiss, because I know we're getting close on time. I would be remiss not to mention the color wheel. Um, because Very we good. all know it is Very one good. of my favorite things. And I find that you can have a vague idea of what color scheme a character is in the beginning, but I really think it's something you have to play through before you can really settle on like the fine details. I had a beautiful conversation with uh, some people I was working at this fair with, and um, 
we were talking about like the alignment chart mm-hmm. and we talked about it as well like you can put a color or an alignment on your character slap it on but you don't have to feel stuck to just that one or two value system that you put in your head like you are allowed to grow and break that from time to time again and it doesn't destroy your morals as a character it just means that you add a color or you have more depth than you already are Mm -hmm. i'm surprised characters change and grow you know if you're adventuring for months you know and you are experiencing things like living adventuring is a heightened lifestyle there are more high stakes scenarios and things that will cause your characters to think about life and about who they are and what part they play in it, like more so than if they were just like a farmer. So I'm not surprised that like the personal growth that happens at a much faster pace for an adventurer than a townsperson. It really is skipping the honeymoon phase of a relationship. It depends on what your group needs. What the group vibe is can definitely change how your character behaves. And what parts you play up, you know, to fill a party role. Totally. It's so like in, in Out of the Abyss, I think um, my character Kiva has become much more of a unifying force because I think that because me as a player, Aaron, I see that as something that the group needs. And so I've, I've made it a part of Kiva's character to be like, we need to stick together. You know, like we are stronger together than alone. And that's the only way we're going to make it out. Yeah. And I'll, I'll give credit to the alignment system after kind of talking down about the alignment mm-hmm. system. Like, it's good for what it's good for. The characters we play in that campaign for Out of the Abyss, it's very nice to have a very solid backbone to all of our alignments because it actually works in a really nice way, having the two more evilly aligned characters, the neutral, and then the two good aligned characters. Mm-hmm. It's a very nice balance. And we didn't start there. Is the other no. thing I should say. We grew. Right. In I those definitely think directions. Traven became more evil as the game went on, and the more he spent time around Garth. It's so weird, but then at the same time, I recognize I'm evil when I see what Garth does. Well, because Garth doesn't think he's evil. Hexblade warlocks. The darkness is seeping in. Yeah. Oh God. That's the other thing too. Um, I like to flip tropes and. My new character that you're going to see on Friday, I think, is a bit of a um, flipping the script on the on a traditional class archetype. Just a little teaser. I'll just leave you all with this tantalizing little whisper on your ears. I really wanted to dig into the idea of like, what if a warlock had a patron that wasn't that wasn't bad, right? That wasn't like intrinsically like nefarious or wasn't like corrupt, right? Because I feel like warlock is often in like a negative connotation or like when you think of like the pacts, you often think about like demons and, you know, beasts from hell and eldritch horrors and like, you know, all of those sorts of things. And I was like, what if, and warlocks are usually also like a very secret thing, you know, like you made a secret deal. I was like, what if it's like a, just like a coming of age thing to make a pact, you know, in this community? What if it's just, like, that's just what it is? I love that because, honestly, I I think, like, it's a good thing to leave people off with because when people think certain classes, they go certain ways. Like, Mm -hmm. a fiend warlock, chaotic evil, an oath of devotion Mm -hmm. paladin, lawful Lawful good. good. Like, I'm happy when people flip the script because it allows for something new because it's really sad to think, like, you know, oh, this class... Can or this subclass can be 
only played in one direction when it comes to alignment. And I think that's really constricting. I know we're supposed to be ending the episode, but I just had this thought. Because I remember when I was building Kiva, he was originally supposed to be a circle of dreams druid, right? Because I, I had been looking at Xanathar's guide. I was really into the circle of dreams. I love the Feywild. But the more I was typing up his backstory and the more I was like figuring out who he as a character was and like where he came from and like what he holds dear, it became more and more prevalent to me that like he actually was a circle of shepherds druid, you know? And so I think for for classes that get to pick subclass later, you know, like your level three subclass choices or level two if you're a druid, I think it's cool to like take some time and not quite know what you're going to become. I think there's like such a trope with D&D that when you get to like say first second third level certain things happen to your character and then when you get hired you can subclass and I think it's so easy to be so like focused in like this is the exact way my character is going to turn out because this is the way Mm -hmm. I want to build them as they go on like I think it's very sweet to be open to change and like you know avoid that trope if you play at first level immediately going for cleric or warlock because i know exactly what i am and i can immediately Mm -hmm. start with that like no it's fun to live in the unknown i mean like i like the first level subclasses too you know sorcerer is one of my favorite subclasses Mm because right off the bat like you sort of know what you're about and that can be really cool it makes the subclass very central in whatever your character is you know, because yeah. like, it is them from the beginning. But at the same time, it means you can sort of look past it because you've always been that, you know? It's not a paladin who finds their oath or right, a monk exactly. who learns a way. It's right. just, yo, you're a sorcerer. You're born with this. This You is got this shit. Been. Oh, man, this was, Aaron, I'm so happy that you're back. It's it's good to- It's so good to be back. To have these talks again. And that's why we're a little longer than usual, okay? It's been a while. Jeez. <laughs> it's been a while. I'm so happy, and honestly, it's great because we have so many fun things coming up now that we're in a place where we could record again, so it's going to be really fun. Yeah, it's great to be back. I may not have struck gold in Alaska, but you will certainly strike gold by liking and subscribing to the Dungeons & Gatherers podcast. Beautiful.